I'm really deep into the product development process. So I will nerd out about pretty much every chemical that we select in the product. And in the beginning, I was just sharing it because I thought it was interesting, but I found that a lot of customers really like to know more, know more about the chemistry. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know if this will go over their heads. It's like, I'm you know talking about molecules and really, really kind of deep science. And it is surprising to see people kind of curious and, and wanting to learn more. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. D2C is no longer just about direct-to-consumer, it's about direct-to-community. And if you are unsure about the impact of this mind shift, just look at Euphoria. Fiona Ko-Chan, founder of Euphoria, started the business during the pandemic. She was looking for a special type of makeup that was so pure and so high quality that you could sleep in it. Quickly, as she built the business, she was looking to her community for insights. Now, Euphoria is on an incredible growth journey that includes Ulta stores. I had the chance to sit down with Fiona to get her perspectives on why she started the business, how she started the business, and why she is turning to social media, all channels, all platforms, and all tactics to better reach her community. Listen in and get some pointers. Fiona, thanks so much for being on the show. It is so great to meet you and have you on. Thank you so much for having me. So when I get any founder on the show, I always like to start from the beginning, basically the founder story, right? So what inspired you to start the Euphoria business? What did you think was missing from the market that you really wanted to create? So at Euphoria, we create makeup you can sleep in. I hadn't come from the beauty industry prior. I actually used to work in tech and I used to sell very complex software to data centers. And that led me to traveling to some of the most polluted cities in the world. Kind of realized that in those settings, my normal skincare and makeup just wouldn't work. So I was always looking for skincare and makeup that would work for me. And then fast forward to a couple of years later, I had just recently gotten married and my husband was based in Hong Kong at the time. I was in San Francisco and the pandemic hits. So I ended up actually getting stuck in Asia. And so much of Euphoria actually came about the first week of the pandemic. I think it was the first week in so many years that I didn't put makeup on. And it really made me realize that makeup is really about going out and seeing people, spending time with your friends and family and having fun. And I am someone who, if I'm out with my friends, I do tend to sleep in my makeup a lot. So I grew up being told you shouldn't sleep in your makeup. Makeup's really bad for you. And I thought, why doesn't, you know, makeup that's good for your skin, that acts like skincare, that if you slept in it, nothing would happen. Um, Why doesn't that exist? So I personally wanted it. And I actually couldn't, I just couldn't understand why it didn't already exist. Yeah, I definitely know that's something that a lot of people I know that wear makeup, including myself, always hear that little voice in the back of their heads, right? Like, always take off your makeup before bed, always do your routine no matter what. So definitely a broader market need there. So the pandemic was obviously a big driver for why you start the business, was kind of that underlying narrative point, so to speak. But were there any other factors, either personal, global, contextual, that impacted how you went about bringing this idea and turning it into action and building the business? I will say that 
the biggest blessing in disguise about the pandemic was I didn't really interact with that many people other than my husband just because of the circumstances. And so when I was really kind of just in this apartment and really just thinking about what I wanted to create, I kind of let my creativity flow and I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I was halfway across the world from, you know, most of my friends and family and basically up until a week before I launched the business, I didn't really tell anyone what I was doing. I think that really allowed me to think about product development in a really unique way. I was really trying to figure out how to solve problems. I didn't have access to talk to people who were in the industry, didn't have access to people for feedback or try products. It can't kind of just came from the gut and it kind of came from like a real need to solve problems. I think that kind of constraint actually breed a lot of creativity in me. But it was incredibly challenging in terms of even trying to find manufacturers, trying to find people to work with, trying to like I make makeup and makeup is incredibly sensorial, trying to even give feedback to our labs and show it in video or talk about it when it's such a sensorial experience. It was a completely new vocabulary that we had to just to it was a completely new vocabulary that we had to create. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to get into some of the marketing, the positioning stuff, which I always like to get into as a content person. But I want to get into like the actual process of building the business, scaling it. You know, you have incredible growth story that we'll get a little bit further into later. But obviously, over the past three years, we've seen some very fascinating shifts, I would say, in terms of e-commerce brands, you know, how brands are going to market or have gone to market, how they've scaled rather quickly, you know, just given the natural dynamics that were taking place due to the pandemic. So I would love your take. I mean, were there any unique challenges that you as a founder and even just for the brand more broadly, were there any unique challenges that you were facing as a digitally native brand that was not just starting, but attempting to scale and acquire new customers. What dynamics were you facing in that process? Yeah, when we had launched, it was April of 2021. It was right before iOS updates. And I think that probably updated a month after we launched. And also I sell makeup and I had to sell it online. So that was a lot of challenges to begin with. For me, what I did in the beginning was just started creating TikToks. This was before Reels was really a feature on Instagram. And all I did was compare our green color changing blush to another form of blush. What's really unique about um, Euphoria is our hero product is it's a green color changing blush. It's the first of its kind. And so there was obviously a lot of education and how to describe, how to use, why it's different that had to happen. And I just did a lot of comparison videos and I think it got a lot of people curious. And once Instagram Reels became more of a feature, we kind of brought that same style of format over to Instagram Reels. And it's a very short format. It's like eight seconds or less. And it really challenges you to get to the point in as fast as possible. And I always like to think about it as when you're creating content, you're asking people for permission for their time and attention. Like you want to make it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it ties to this broader theme that we've been seeing a lot. And I, I know our e-commerce editor, Nicole Silverstein, when she was 
doing some deep coverage of your brand and your growth story, she noted this notion of not so much direct to consumer, but direct to community. And I think you're kind of alluding to that, like the power of Instagram reels, for instance. So can you kind of expand upon how this idea of direct to community has influenced your approach, especially as you strive to engage with your target customer and really provide those quick hitting, snackable insights to really get the point across quickly, like you were saying? Community is like everything. We leverage DMs and Instagram DMs so much. I can't even count the number of DMs that I must have sent even on a daily basis. And for me, it really helps me connect with our customers. It gives me a lot of feedback. A lot of the feedback I've received, I've actually turned it into action in terms of how I develop products. And that's what's really great about me just kind of providing a channel that's a direct access to me. I try to look at all the comments and it does really inform how I think about product development, but also what type of content to create. Yeah, I always love stories like that because it's not just, you know, you're responding to something. It's like you're actually doing something with that insight, with that data in a more broad sense. So let's go a bit deeper into this because I feel like social media has been such a fascinating space to watch because not only are there new platforms, but there are new offerings within the platforms and there are new ways to tell your story and and to interact with consumers. So is there anything in particular that you've learned about your customer during this time, whether it be the channels or the tactics? Like what has really resonated with them that you're like, yes, we have to do more of this because this really works for me as the founder, but it also really works for the brand and the customer as well. Yeah. And I really like to emphasize if you know, making content that works for you. If you're a founder that makes content, find a style that works for you because I think that's really important. But I really like to answer customer questions just with a video response. It almost is a proxy for being in person and I get to kind of tailor my very specific suggestions to, to customers' queries. I love doing that. I think what really surprised me is I'm really deep into the product development process. So I will nerd out about pretty much every chemical that we select in the product. And in the beginning, I was just sharing it because I thought it was interesting. But I found that a lot of customers really like to know more, know more about the chemistry. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know if this will go over their heads. It's like I'm, you know, talking about molecules and really, really kind of deep science. And it is surprising to see people kind of curious and and wanting to learn more. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because as I was researching for this and prepping my questions, I think what really struck me was how nerdy you got for lack of a better (laughs) term, right? No, and I love it. I think so many consumers, especially as we think about beauty and skincare, there is such a hunger for that information because, you know, there's so much content out there. There's so much conflicting information. So I think, you know, having somebody that can just break it down in simple terms and really get to the heart of like how it works, the benefits, it's super beneficial. And, you know, I know there is this emphasis on green chemistry principles and how the product is made. Like, how do you always strive to put that into your approach to marketing? Like, how has this almost served as an advantage for you? Like, as consumers think about, you know, wanting more natural products, you know, wanting to understand how everything works, like you were saying, like, how do you do it in a way that is relevant and like on brand? Is it just so naturally connected to Euphoria as a brand itself that it just makes sense to always be talking about the science behind it? So just to go back to what is green chemistry, it's basically this set of 12 principles that the EPA put out that's aimed at pollution prevention, really looking at the life cycle of how a chemical is made. Is there pollution that is a byproduct of that process to make these synthetic chemicals? And then what happens when 
the chemicals are disposed or after you use the final product. In makeup, when I was starting to do my research, I realized that a lot of the chemicals used are made from fossil fuels. And it's not that it has to be that way. It's just what's mostly done. I like to think of the evolution of like skincare and makeup chemicals as we used to use like whales and animals. Then we went to fossil fuels. And now what I really want to do is bring the industry forward and use plant-based ingredients. So what that means is if we have a synthetic chemical, it can be sourced from anything, but trying to be intentional about using something that's renewable and plant-based is really important to me, mostly because I spent so much time in these really polluted cities. I felt that if I had a choice in what chemicals we were selecting, why not choose the one that's plant-based? And sometimes it's the exact same chemical name. You know, even for what I like about going down this path is it makes us really try to innovate and try to look for the most cutting edge chemicals because a lot of times there's, you know, these base formulas, everyone's kind of using the same thing, but we're really looking for more innovative textures, more innovative ingredients. And a lot of times I find that it has a really unique skincare benefit as well. Oh, that's great. So is it fair to say that like this whole story, how you're always leaning into like the leading edge of science and, you know, always finding ways to iterate and improve upon the product. Is that really core to like your customer retention story or, and if not, I mean, what is, right? Because I know there's this really ongoing debate of, okay, you need to acquire the customer, but it's not just getting that one-time purchase. It's like setting them up for a long-term relationship with your brand. So what does that look like for Euphoria? Like what elements have you really leaned into that you've found to be effective, you know, to drive people from that acquisition to long-term retention? I think, you know, there's different ways to think about it. One way that I always think about is actually just making really great products that people love. I definitely have a relationship with certain products where I might have been using them for like over a decade now. And that is something where I really do try to just make the best products chemically possible. Something that's easy to use that works for a lot of people that is really inclusive at the formulation level. And then of course, I like to provide education. Our quiz is a perfect example on our website. You can just enter in your skin type and what will come out is just recommendations based on your skin type. This is something that I learned when I was going to makeup school in Asia, where you can actually customize your makeup routine depending on how your skin's acting that way to make sure that number one, your makeup looks great. Number two, that it lasts long, but also that your makeup isn't exacerbating whatever skin subcondition you might be experiencing. Yeah, I love that quiz idea because I always feel like there's an art and science to that. Like obviously the goal is to match someone to a product or to a routine, but it's like understanding what exactly you wanna get from the customer to guide them to the right solution. So I always love, brands that focus on those types of experiences and make it fun, make it easy for the customer, because that's really, that's really key. But obviously, a big part of your growth story is you are in brick and mortar stores now, which is super exciting. I'm always curious about like, how brand leaders and founders specifically think about the role of retail and and wholesale relationships. Has that always been a part of the growth playbook, so to speak for you? Like, how did you think about wholesale versus strictly D to C or like, how did you kind of go through all of those pluses and minuses, so to speak, as you thought through the vision for the brand? 
For Euphoria, I've always wanted to be an omni-channel brand. I think makeup is something that's so personal where, number one, you want to see if the colors work for your skin. You want to feel the textures. And so having a brick-and-mortar partner has always been really important. But I also love that in D2C, you get so many data points. You learn so much. You can iterate so much faster. So I kind of see it as both channels kind of working in tandem. For now, ever since we launched into Ulta and other brick-and-mortar retailers, I really think about our market marketing strategy as like a full omni-channel approach. I just want to be where the customers are and, you know, they might discover in one channel and then replenish at another channel. It's kind of hard to see. We definitely don't get all the data points, but I do think the ability to go out and try testers and samples for yourself is something that helps the customer journey. Like our textures are so different, so unique. And so if I'm given the opportunity where customers can try it, I will always kind of lean into that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know during the pandemic, especially sampling was a big portion of the makeup shopping experience that was severely missed (laughs) over the course of that time. So it's good that that's coming back. I do have a quick follow-up question for you. I mean, as an Ulta consumer, I have certain things that I love about the brand or the retail experience. Were there any particular reasons or I guess, you know, benefits of partnering with Ulta versus other players, or I guess more simply put, What is it about the Ulta brand that you just found really nice, natural alignment with what you're trying to build with Euphoria other than like you want it to be an omni business? Oh, I really love the Ulta rewards program. Oh my God, don't we all? (laughs) We have like a group chat where we are just constantly sharing the deals. Like, and I'm pretty obsessed with their program. It's actually, I don't know, it's, it's, as a beauty consumer, I love it. And every time I go into Ulta, I'm always discovering new things, but their rewards program is just, it's too good. So to the end, I mean, how are you and the Euphoria team thinking about marketing to the Ulta customer, right? Like I've, I've seen some nice, you know, co-marketing campaigns and initiatives, you know, with these new brand partnerships, but is there anything in particular you're trying to lean into to make sure that people see and acknowledge the Euphoria brand, but also the recognition, of course, of Ulta as a brand? Yeah, we created a lot of content of just showing that we are in Ulta, that we're you know using testers in Ulta, especially to announce that we were going into Ulta, just letting people know that we can always find us in Ulta. That was really important. We find that a lot of our customers go in and ask for Euphoria. Almost every time I visit a store, I actually see our blush sell out. So there is a lot of discovery that's probably happening online and people are using Ulta as a channel to purchase. And that's that's been great. No, that's great. So what is the next goal or the next step in terms of growing the Euphoria brand? Is it to expand further into other wholesale partners? Is it maybe starting your own branded storefronts or even pop-ups? Like, as you venture further into this omni roadmap or vision for the brand, you know, how are you thinking about the role of digital versus physical? I think they play in tandem together. I think kind of depending on the product itself, it might have a slightly different approach or playbook. You know, my goal for the brand is to create like a full face of euphoria. And there certainly are some products where it might do well to have that physical presence be the place for discovery or, you know, part of the consideration phase. So I am kind of looking into different options, but really happy with our current retail partners as is. They've been so great to us. That's excellent. And obviously you've been on a 
very exciting, fast-moving journey with starting the business and, of course, scaling the business. What have been some notable lessons that you've learned over the past year? And how are you using these learnings to kind of map your next steps for Euphoria? And like, this could be marketing, it could be product, it could be anything. Like, what really stands out to you? Really, just to have like a testing framework and mindset. I think when I first started the business, I probably over-engineered too many things that I actually had to end up ripping up and kind of starting over. I always think of launches or, you know, just kind of existing as just an opportunity to learn. And I'm constantly learning new things about the business, but it is a big part of my approach where I will kind of dive into the data, see what resonates, see where we can improve, whether it's product or messaging or any other parts of the business. But I am constantly just learning and testing. Oh, it's great. And it's definitely a learning. I think a lot of the bigger brands and bigger retailers can definitely take some cues from. I know consumer behaviors are constantly changing and the goal is to get to the heart of what they want. But this has been so fascinating, Fiona. I always love to hear about growth stories, lessons from the trenches. So thank you again so much for taking the time out to chat with me today. Thank you so much. And to all of you, if you have any follow-up questions for Fiona, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at retail touchpoints. We would definitely like to keep this conversation going. If you want to dig a little bit further into the Euphoria story, we'll also include a link to Nicole's story that I mentioned in our episode in the show notes. And of course, if you liked this episode, leave us a rating and review. Of course, your feedback helps us do our jobs better. So we'd love to hear from you. Until then, be sure to subscribe. That way, new episodes are delivered right to your preferred device. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and frankly, everywhere else. But for now, that's it from us, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.